Welcome to the CyberLife Podcast, where we help you learn cybersecurity best practices, give you a weekly update on the latest cybersecurity news, and share valuable career advice. Hi everyone, it's Ken. In today's episode, you're going to hear from Omar Sangarima. Omar holds multiple degrees, including a doctorate in information technology with a focus on cybersecurity. He's served as a president of a local Toastmasters in the past. He holds multiple industry certifications, and he's got a very strong defensive background in cybersecurity. Omar currently serves as a principal cybersecurity program manager for a healthcare organization, and he's also an advisor to Ithaca College up in New York on their educational programs as well. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about program management and cybersecurity to help you get the stuff actually funded in your organization. So without further ado, if you're interested in program management, we're going to hear from Omar and let's just jump right into it. So welcome to the show, Omar. So today we're going to be talking about program management around cybersecurity and also around cybersecurity funding, which I think is a, a good topic considering that the most of the CISOs I speak to have had their cyber budgets cut, cut in half or cut at least by a quarter uh, because all the fear of a pandemic right now while we're filming this. So before we dive in, Omar, do you mind just explaining for the audience members out there that don't know what program management is? Like, can you just kind of share, like, at a high level, what is program management and how is it actually used in a business to achieve those business objectives? Sure. Uh, thanks, Ken. Um, so, really, the the way I like to describe it is, you know, project management is one thing, right? You you, you get into projects, you have beginning and an end. Here's a goal. We want to get this done by this date, right? Those the classic, right? PMI definitions of of project that that's perfect. And then really, just the next level up is making sure for program management, making sure that you know if you have five projects that you're facilitating, you make sure that they all pull in the same direction, right? So you just make sure that none of them are working at cross purposes. If there's any resources that have to be divvied up among the five, for example, right? Pulling that number out of the air, but just making sure that all the, the projects build towards the same set of objectives and goals. And as you mentioned, right, it's keeping those goals and the business objectives at the forefront, right? Something, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, having it in a banner across like the virtual project management software that you're using. Hey, this is, at the end of the day, this is what we're trying to achieve, right? It's, it's easy to get lost in the weeds when you're doing project and program management, but if you're able to, Put it, you know, I'm a very visual person. So for me, it helps just seeing it consistently. Like, this is what we're trying to go for. This is what we're trying to achieve. This is why we're doing things. Because if you keep the why at the forefront, then it's a, it's a, it makes things a heck of a lot simpler when you're running programs in order to go, listen, if there's a decision point, if there's a place where you might have to take some resources off of one project, put them into another temporarily, right, to, to kind of keep the, the the progress moving forward. To keep the why in mind of what the business needs out of these five projects and this program, then you're able to make those decisions, I think, in in a quicker fashion, as well as in a, in a more coherent fashion, right? So you don't have five projects or 10 projects pulling in different directions towards their own conceptions of where they want to go. You constantly just realign and reaffirm and go, listen, this is what this particular business needs. This is what we're trying to, to get done overall, right? And it gives you that perspective to make sure that all the underlying projects are pushing us towards that ultimate why. So 
I think when people hear cybersecurity program management, for those that are not in, you know, in, in the mix of it, they, they kind of think it has just a technical focus, like, okay, just technical projects, you know, we're developing some software and we need to secure it or whatever. But how, how has really program management, especially in the cybersecurity space in particular, how has it kind of evolved over time to be looked at as more of a strategic business function versus just, hey, we're just trying to make sure that these technical projects move forward? Sure. And I think it, it goes with the age-old question of that not just cyber has faced, of course, as being part of IT, but IT in general, of being seen as a cost center, right? Like if you're, and especially that's an easy trap to fall into or an easy trope to, to have to live through. If you're in a business that's not straight up a tech business, right? Like it's a bit, it's a bit easier of a sell to go, listen, we drive innovation, we're not just costing you money year over year. We're helping you either you know generate new dollars or save dollars. If you're in more of a of a tech space, but of course, right, the preponderance of opportunities to do cyber program management or even IT program management are not in the the uh, the IT space, right? You're doing IT for another set of business objectives. So while you have to thread that needle and make sure that you're able to contribute as a program manager to those technical projects, right? You have to be, I call it conversational, right? You don't have to be, you know, engineer level, nitty gritty sort of person, but at the very least, you need to be able to determine when you're being sold a bill of goods, right? So you need to be able to smell if something's a little untoward um, on the on the technical side, but more and more in order to shed that stigma of just being a cost center of this is something, you know, you have to pay the utility bill, and that includes IT, right? To have that true seat at the table, you need to be able to weave the story together of how what you're doing in IT truly supports what the business needs to get done. And I think over time, that narrative's uh, been increasingly better explained by, of course, the more successful programs out there. And I think just, and it's also, it goes both ways though, right? Because sometimes as technical program management can can lose itself in the technical nuances, right? We're, we're both technologists. We love tech. We can talk about tech all day. Tech for tech's sake doesn't sound bad to either one of us or you know, probably a lot of people listening. But that's one thing that can bring you into program management. But you can't let that supersede what you're doing it for, right? So if you're able to then tie direct linkages and, and really weave that story together of what you're doing and how it supports what the business itself needs to get done. At that point, I think then you're you're recognized as as a contributor versus a cost center, right? You're able to shed that stigma. And then they bring in to conversations when they're starting to think of where should the business go next? Once you're starting to get into those conversations versus we have a, a direction and then we'll get IT to push us there, right? That's, that's, I think, a different set of conversations. And once you graduate to, to where you're helping drive innovation or you're brought into those conversations, then at that point, I believe, you're, not, you're no longer viewed as, we got to pay these folks to keep the lights on, right? No, these folks are helping us drive towards what the mission of the business itself overall is versus just the IT component. So you've kind of touched on this already. We, we talked at the beginning about the, the funding challenges in cybersecurity. I mean, budgets are getting cut right now. What kind of actionable items would you recommend for a cyber professional, regardless of their level? Maybe it's an individual contributor that's got to go to a smaller company and try to get mm-hmm. more budget. Maybe it's a, you know, a CISO at a larger company. 
what are like how can they effectively communicate the actual like business value and ROI of of the cybersecurity program to the the senior decision makers, you know, CEO, CFO, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like how, how what are some like actionable takeaways? And it doesn't have to be a long list, but like what are some things that that someone listening to this right now could go out in a meeting and and push for? Like what what are some of those actionable items they can do? I think being open to being tracked, I think is one of the first things that you gotta that mindset and and the thing you can take as an action item, right? Like not saying, listen, you're giving us this responsibility to get this sort of tech stood up or to get this improvement put in place or to integrate or get this implementation done. But will you can't go to the business and say, we'll tell you what indicators, what KPIs, you know, what what tracking metrics we're gonna we're gonna harvest for you. I think if you come at the conversation with, okay, what's the business tracking itself on? Right? First and foremost. And then you start decomposing or deconstructing those metrics into things that then you can track within your own programs that directly support and drive those broader business KPIs, right? I, I see the more successful folks in the field able to speak about what they do in terms of those broader business KPIs. They, of course, still have to track certain nuances and certain metrics that really are only pertinent to, to cyber. But if they're able to straight up show baselines, show improvements, but speak in the language that the business is using to describe its own goals and and standards, right, and and plans, I think then you're able to take those steps, right? Because then if if you break down those KPIs in, in such a fashion, you're able to then see, okay, what do I do that drives them, right? And then at that point, you can just stand up pretty quick and dirty back in the napkin metrics to track what you guys are, your own program is doing in order to support those broader KPIs. The more you can blur, right? The, the, the more you can take the tech nuance out of how you report up to the business, right? Then I think you're able to, to kind of go forward. So the place I've seen a lot of headway being made there is obviously discussions of risk, right? But one of the things that I know, you know, I grapple with on a daily basis, and I know a lot of folks still, you know, I think the field itself grapples is, when you talk about risk, it's really a lot of times in terms of, okay, we avoided X, we saved X dollars, right? And it's, you get potentially caught in that trap of proving negatives, right? Or you potentially, whether justified or not, get accused of the whole fear, uncertainty, and doubt uh, conundrum there, right? Where it's like, listen, I just saved you a whole bunch of money. Really? Did you? Like, and, and, and a lot of times, you know, especially the more, you know, the public companies, if you're supporting a program within, you know, a, a publicly traded company, a lot of times you're, you can speak about risk aversion and how much you saved, but that public entity is really focused on, okay, how much did you generate? What, how did you drive, you know, the top line stuff, right? Not, not great. We have to take care of risk. Risk is a necessary evil, but then you fall into, again, that trap of this is something we have to pay for. It makes sure that we don't, you know, go off the rails, but there's nothing really exciting for a lot of business leaders of, oh, did how, how do you help us drive sales? So if you're able to take the time right up front to go and understand what those KPIs for the business are and how what you do can drive those numbers, right, while still harnessing operational metrics, I think that's going to be your first set of steps that you can do. Because a lot of times what I see is metrics tacked on at the end, 
right? You, you get really excited about a project. You want to, let's, you know, hey, let's, let's go to the cloud or let's build this, let's build that. The stuff that excites us as technologists. And then you go, okay, now we have to prove that this was legit or that this helped the business later have that conversation up front, right? And, and it's sometimes it's an uncomfortable conversation to have because a lot of times the business might not know, right? Like, okay, we know we need this. Maybe, you know, if it's a compliance thing or if it's something that, hey, we have to check these boxes and in order to continue to do business, but break it down for how it could drive the business. And I think then you'll, you'll, you'll be in, in better waters. So you mentioned higher level business KPIs. Can you give some examples for the audience of, you know, and obviously without giving away what your current org is, is doing, but just kind of generic examples of, of some of those high level KPIs of what they might look like. So people could start to kind of wrap their heads around like, okay, this is what it might look like, especially for the newer, because there's probably a good amount of newer people looking to break into their first cybersecurity job. So this kind of helps mm -hmm. them get that bigger picture view mm -hmm. of, of what really matters in an organization. And, sure. uh, and I think that can also benefit those particular individuals during job interviews because they say, oh, mm -hmm. what are the business KPIs? As a hiring manager, I'd be like, oh, gosh, who's this person, right? I mean, you're definitely moving to the next round because I want to find out more. So so do you mind just sharing, like, what are some of those kind of generic high-level KPIs that a business, and you can pick a certain sure. uh, vertical if you want to, like healthcare or whatever, yep. um, but but just you mind sharing some of those kind of generic high-level KPIs so they understand them a little more? Of course. So even, you know, I'll go, I'll go super generic, right, where it, regardless of the vertical you're in, one of the things I think that everyone's starting to ask themselves in the cyber field is, is the, the issue of user friction, right? And it's, this is a topic that's very near and dear to my heart because, you know, di I didn't know I'd end up working where I'm working, right? But, you know, during my dissertation, I looked at, you know, how do you get folks to adopt security best practices, right? These, these are things that have been, you know, since the beginning of time, right? These are basic tenets that we want folks to, to, to follow, but for some reason, there's just, it's getting lost in translation. And I think it's evolved, at least for me, the mental model that I keep is, how do you make the tech easy to implement, right? And then how do you sell folks on that it's going to make them better at their jobs, right? So those are those are really two kind of, kind of thought tracks that you can go down. But the particular one that I think cuts across most of the verticals is that issue of making the tech easier to either follow, easy to implement, taking a look at, you know, uh, UX or UI, making sure, like, quick example, how many times do folks within the industry or the teams that you support, how many times do they have to sign in to, to access certain applications, right? It's something as simple, you don't, you don't think of it, right? But if you take it from the user perspective and the users are coming back and telling you, hey, I, you know, in order to do my job, right, in order to just get started in the morning, I'm having coffee, I'm looking at stuff through one eye, right, I'm getting, I'm getting my, my, my feet under me, I have to sign into 13 or 14 separate applications. Now, as security folks, we understand, listen, you know, identity and access management is one of the key tenets, right? I hold that up there with asset management in terms of if you can do nothing else, do those two things, and you'll be semi-okay, right, uh, to, to kind of go forward in faith. But if we're making our users sign in, a bunch of times and it's just constant or, or you're kicking them out. You're not taking into account, you know, any sort of nuances to that, to that risk measurement of, do we make them sign in again? Do we make them step up and sign in? what needs two factor? What doesn't, I think across any vertical, 
if you're able to come to the table and say, listen, I think of users when I'm trying to implement or drive my programs. I think of what this is going to affect their day to day, you know, what levels this is going to, you know, make them either hate us or, or, or at least not think of us. Right. I think the best sometimes you can go is, you know, have security going on in the background and it's, it's, it's seamless. I, I believe if you're coming to interviews and you're discussing things in terms of this is what's going to make, you know, a user more secure, but it's not going to drive a user nuts. Like you said, it's going to differentiate you right off the bat. Oh, this person's not just sitting there going, these are the rules. I don't care. This is what the policy says. This is what best practices say. You need to do this. You need to do this, et cetera. If you're coming at it from, listen, I know what the best practices are, but where I'm going to differentiate myself is making them part of a seamless experience for our users where they're secure. They don't even you know, really need to think of us too much. And then they can do the awesome things that they do to drive the business forward. I think that that, regardless of vertical, is one of the things you can come in and go, you know, listen. And it's easy to then, if you're preparing for interviews, right, you can look at particulars within whatever vertical that you're interviewing for. And you can go, okay, what are some user issues? Where's some friction? Where does, you know, uh, security really hang up? Right? Where does security seem to get in the way? Do they have to log in a lot? Is it, are there physical aspects where they have to, you know, put in, you know, keypad? Could we turn it into like a tap and go system? Different things. If you're even showing that you're thinking about that from a user perspective, I think that then all the talk that you could do in an interview about wanting to drive the business forward, I think then it gives it a ring of authenticity. We we've touched actually quite a bit, you know, on the, on the funding aspect, you know, there's limitation resources. I mean, but that's the funding goes up and down. I mean, there's worry mm-hmm. of a recession right now and all the world's going to end and all this stuff, um, which is why uh, Omar and I are working on a spaceship so we can get the heck out. But in the interim, until that, until that's uh, viable, we're always going to have limited resources, even as a, even as an overall business. I mean, I can only, mm-hmm. I mean, let's say I have a physical building, the AC goes out. I've got mm-hmm. to worry about the, or the fire system goes out. I've got to worry mm-hmm. about the safety of my employees. Maybe I can't get you that new firewall you want because I've got to put those dollars over here for, you know, a particular thing, which kind of goes back to what we were talking about with budget. You've got to be able to say, well, yeah, you don't want the new AC because, you know, people could be hot for a little bit because we need to do X, Y, and Z that'll drive revenue. That gives us mm-hmm. more revenue to go buy the AC, et cetera. <laughs> All that being said, how can organizations prioritize these cybersecurity focused initiatives while they're also taking into account that, Hey, we've only got X amount of dollars in the budget. So an example might be, we've got, um, you know, a hundred million dollar company and let's say $5 million is budgeted. Hopefully it's more than that, but $5 million is budgeted for cybersecurity. How can we kind of prioritize? Like, what are we, what are we going to focus on around cybersecurity based on those limited resources? I think, and this is a, a bit of a departure, I want to say that I've been I've been really learning on the job for like last year, year and a half, and it's developing trust, right? It's kind of a, a roundabouts way. But if you can show that the blinky boxes, quote unquote, right, all the other stuff that you've been asking for and, you know, fought for to get included in a budget and protected from, you know, first, second, third round of budget cuts where everybody's told to you know, tighten the belts and whatnot. If you can show that what you did get funding for, you're utilizing to the absolute utmost, right? That you didn't just, you know, bring on, like you said, that firewall and then you didn't configure it correctly or you're only using, you know, 
of the capabilities that are in there, right? Or if you go back and say, listen, I got this firewall, but now I want, you know, this type of scanner, right? And then you get that one person on the budget committee going, wait a second, can't that firewall do a bit of that scanning? That's never a question that you want to have presented to you as a security leader, you know, supposedly knowing everything that you need to know about the things that you're asking to get funded. So if you're able to consistently show, listen, last year we asked for XYZ, this is what we've done with XYZ, and we're working on all cylinders. We're harvesting the most capability and value that we can get for the dollars that you invested in us. If you're able to be transparent and also welcome that type of questioning, and of course, right, this is goes should go without saying, but I'll say it, able to answer said questions, right, effectively saying, hey, yes, we did use this to the utmost. Then I think you start generating a trust with the folks that you know, are, are signing those budgets and are approving those dollars, that when you then come to them with another ask for a different type of spend, you're able to have that trust with those folks that they're able to go, okay, you know what, this person is a good steward or this department is a good steward of resources. If they're asking us for XYZ dollars, then there's a, there's a good chance that there it's needed. Now, I like to marry that with then a broken down, basic, and easy to parse risk analysis of why I'm asking for what I'm asking, right? You can go, listen, I have the trust. We use what we ask for very effectively. Now, you're not going to think that I'm just being a spendthrift on here, that I just want to get you know that new box that's going to solve all our cyber problems. And then you add it to the reason why we're asking for this in particular on this round is because of these risks that we've identified that are tailored to the operations of the business, right? It's not something that you can just pull out of the sky of like the top 10 risks that's facing one vertical. You can say, listen, over time, we've really taken a look and found that we need to cover this gap. This is something that we're not maybe doing great at. It's because maybe we haven't had you know, capability or, or funding, right? We've tried everything else. We've tried to harvest all the value out of everything that you've you know, bequeathed to us in past budget rounds. And from a risk analysis perspective, this is where we need to head. If you come prepared, right, with an ask and have those three facets to it, I think then at the very least, right, this is not a guarantee that you're going to get it because sometimes, as you said, Ken, budgetary realities are budgetary realities, right? But then you can at least have, you know, on paper, hey, I asked for this. I, I made a good business case for it, not just a cyber or a risk case. It's a business case of, of what you need something for then you can start having the conversation. If you get told no, then at the very least, like, listen, okay, we're going to put that on a back burner. When there is budget, this needs to be one of the top five things that you guys are considering to, to, to approve. So when we look at newer businesses with startups and also the small businesses out there that, that really have extremely limited resources, what advice would you have for those really small companies that they don't have the money for a cyber team? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, typically they're using like managed security service provider. Mm-hmm. Um, so what advice would you have for them for actually establishing kind of a foundational cybersecurity program that, you know, protects their assets at that time, but also aligns with projected, you know, that future growth of the organization? Like what, like how would they go about doing that effectively? And you can kind of, you can be very generic if you want to, because it's mm-hmm. a kind of a broad question. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what are some things that they might want to consider or do 
to to kind of think about like this is what we need to protect now and this is kind of where we want to go and the here's sort of what we need to protect along that journey absolutely and that's and that's even just having that mindset to it Ken, as 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 you're already very cooking with gasoline there right when you're thinking about it in, in those terms the way i like to break it down is okay what are you in the business for right like are there any regulatory hurdles that you're going to need to you know keep in mind right are there any um, you know, laws, uh, any best practices, right? Are you taking credit cards, for example? Then, of course, you got to think of PCI DSS, right? It's just one of those table stakes. Now, what I would advise is, as you as you really adroitly mentioned, don't just think of those, that regulatory landscape as the boxes you have to check and then you're done, right? Like, what you'll set yourself up for continued growth, right? And I think a seamless expansion of any cyber capabilities that you're going to need to make as you hopefully grow. If you don't just see those things as I can set it and forget it, I've met SOC, I've met PCI, or, you know, we've, we've nailed, you know, uh, ISO and then we're done, right? No, you, you want to take a look at, at the core, what are these things asking you for, right? Like what you can, the, the secret or the not so secret thing about a lot of those regulatory frameworks is if, you're able to come to the table with, listen, we didn't quite meet X, but here's why, and we're doing it on purpose, and here's also where we're going to grow into. A lot of auditors have a lot of time to have that sort of conversation with even a smaller business, right? It's really when even, sadly, medium-sized or bigger businesses give no thought to that, and it's just really an ad hoc non-decision that was made, and then that's why uh, this particular you know, checkbox isn't checked. That's when you get, you know, auditors come down righteously and go, listen, you, you, you folks are just doing this all willy nilly. There's no measured, meaningful approach to how you're taking care of the things you need to take care of. Right. And then that brings it to the, to the second aspect of it. As I said before, know what you're in the business of, what type of, of sensitive information, if any, right, are, are you either utilizing to bring value to a set of customers or that passes through? right? Uh, you're part of a supply chain that just has you know, some stewardship for it at some point. You want to make sure, okay, brass tax, this is the most important stuff that we need to, to manage and we need to protect. You work back from there and you go, what is the basic things that we need to ensure that we do that make us good stewards, uh, stewards of said information, whether it be customer data, whether it be cardholder data, whether it be health information, et cetera, right? Any, anything across the spectrum there. And really, if you take it one step further, even back from that, a lot of those regulatory frameworks, right? A lot of the risk frameworks, a lot of the stuff that you're going to be going out and getting if you progress in whatever line of business you're going for. If, as I mentioned earlier, if you're doing decent, decent things with asset management, if you're doing decent things with identity access uh, and or identity governance and administration, right? However you want to call it. If you're able to do you know what you have to protect, right? And it's a conscious thing where, where you're not just hoping that nobody's taking a look at, at where you might have crown jewel stash. And then you have an access regime that makes sense for what sort of risk you're dealing with on a daily basis. Building out from there and that foundation is a heck of a lot easier than bolting it on later, right? So you want to take a look at those regulatory frameworks you want to make sure that you know what you're in 
trusted or you're required to protect and to what levels you're required to build it out to, and then work from there in terms of making sure that you always have visibility into your networks and you always you know, know who's getting access to what and why. And I think that can form a good manageable core for a small business to then build out. So any final advice or thoughts for businesses out there and or uh, cybersecurity professionals that might be listening, Omar? Sure. It's really try and do things on purpose. As silly as it seems, right? The, the most, you know, the hardest conversations I've seen, you know, different businesses have to have with either auditors, with lawmakers, if it gets to that point, right? If, if they're getting, you know, if, if it's something, you know, a terrible breach that happened and then they're getting investigated is make sure you did things meaningfully and on purpose. Again, you might have a legitimate business need for not hitting a certain level on some sort of frameworks marker. But if you make note of it, you, you say, listen, this is why we're falling short now. It's just infeasible. And this is where we're, you know, this is what we're doing to ameliorate that gap. You show auditors, you show, I think, the public, right? And you show just, you know, your, your colleagues really in cyber um, that you're, you're aware of where you need to go. And it's not just something that's an afterthought, right? I feel that then engenders the trust with your different sets of stakeholders to go, listen, these are decent stewards. They're doing the best they can with the resources they have at hand. And then they're going forward in phase to try to improve uh, time over time. It's when I think folks folks will get the angriest, right? When they see, you know, even larger businesses kind of seem to not care, right? Like, oh, I, I checked some boxes, but they didn't follow like the spirit of what the framework was asking to do versus I did technically what this phrasing said I needed to hit and therefore, you know, I'm fine. Right. But if, if you do things on purpose and then you show that you're trying to improve on a, on a constant or consistent basis, I think that's really going to serve you regardless of where you find yourself. Right. If you wander into doing, you know, European business and you go down the GDPR route, you know, that's still a good foundation to then meet those different criteria that you have to hit there, or if you start taking credit cards, or if you go into the healthcare space, doing things meaningfully and on purpose and having a plan forward to continue to iterate and get better, I think is going to go a long way. Awesome advice. Hopefully people actually listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But thanks again, Amar, for uh, coming on the show and um, look forward to having you on again sometime. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the show. If you're looking to secure your business better or build up your cybersecurity career, then check us out over at cyberlife.tv. That's C-Y-B-E-R-L-I-F-E dot T-V.